Our reading this morning is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we ask that uh, you would be with us by the power of your spirit in this place and that you would be speaking to us what you have for us this morning. Through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Whilst uh, I can almost feel like a fraud often when I stand up to preach, uh, this week as we address the Christian atheist topic, when you believe in God but not in prayer, this is even more acute. As I look out here, there are many who have been faithful in prayer down through the years and continue to do so. And it's one of the joys of being with you. But prayer is one of the areas of the Christian life I, I do find hard, and I don't think uh, I'm the only one who struggles. The issue of prayer atheism is a live one. Now, we can't cover everything to do with prayer in one sermon, so we're going to consider quickly four myths of prayer that may cause us to struggle and uh, see if that helps us in our prayer. Our first myth this morning is that we're not good enough for prayer. Perhaps this comes from specific or recurring sin in our lives, and we can find ourselves thinking, well, I'm not morally good enough to come to God in prayer. I need to clean up my act first, and then I can pray. But the reality is that these are lies of the devil leading us away from the truth. We are never and can never be good enough by our own means. 
morally good enough by our own power to enter the presence of God as we do in prayer. The only way we can come to God is because of grace. Because Jesus died to deal with the sin in our lives, because he lived the perfect life we should have lived. And this has been credited to us. Our return to prayer may need to be through repentance, through saying sorry. But there's no goodness bar that we have to get to before we can turn to prayer. Another way of not feeling good enough could be over how we pray. I grew up in a church where the long prayers with all the right words, solid Presbyterian prayers, the five points of Calvinism before you request anything. I remember being incredibly nervous the first time I prayed out loud in the church prayer meeting. How could I match up to these prayers? And even today, I think people can have a feeling that they aren't good enough in praying, especially perhaps as we join corporately together. But that's forgetting that prayer is not a performance either in front of each other or before God. It's a conversation with our Heavenly Father. I do think what we say is important. It's good to have patterns such as the Lord's Prayer that we can use to to structure our prayers. But there are also the opportunity to say whatever is on our hearts, in whatever means, including for some through art or music or other ways of expressing themselves. We can see through the Bible all sorts of of prayers, some spontaneous off the cuff, some well prepared, almost liturgical, some of the Psalms which which have been put together with starting with a different letter of the alphabet all the way through. And then there's a raw honesty if we look at a lot of biblical prayers that sometimes we can lose today in our nice, good, polite, uh, British manner. We can read some of the Psalms. We can see the pain in them. And we think, good grief, how can people say this? But actually, they're saying it to God. They're turning this pain to God and being honest. It's not about having the right words or doing enough theology. It's about the conversation and the relationship. Our second myth is, is that prayer is boring. Either we don't want to do it or we find our, our minds wandering. Now, there may be practical or situational reasons for this. Seasons of life when there's a lot going on or for some other reasons our lives or our minds are chaotic. It may also be a sign that we need to change things up when how we come to God in prayer, perhaps for a short time. Just do things in a different way. However, there's also a risk that we started to lose sight of what prayer is and who we're talking to. Our vision has moved from God to ourselves. Our scope has narrowed We no longer see the immense privilege of direct access to the creator and ruler of the universe. 
We no longer remember that the one we call Father is the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-present, eternal, one true God who has no equal and against whom none can in the end succeed. Perhaps sometimes we need to pause and read maybe God's reply to Job at the end of that book and let it blow our minds. Or some of the psalms of praise and glory to God. Or perhaps the opening of the book of Ephesians. I'm sure there are more passages you can think of. Passages that that just expand our understanding of God. that, That stop us putting God in a box. And say he's so much bigger. Then we come back to realize what we're doing in prayer. Conversing with this God about our lives, our wants, our needs, our desires. How can prayer be boring, given the God that we're speaking to? Our third myth is that there's no point praying since God already knows everything anyway. Uh, I wonder if there's a few of you there um, slightly confused as to why we had the story of blind Bartimaeus uh, for a sermon on prayer. And it's because it contains this amazing, almost crazy moment in the story. Bartimaeus has uh, attracted Jesus' attention uh, against the odds, and and he comes forward. uh, And although it says he sort of sprung up, there's no doubt he was supported by someone or or perhaps using a stick or something to, to, to feel the way. It must have been obvious to everybody that this guy is blind. And Jesus says to him, What do you want me to do for you? Bonkers. (laughs) Well, there's a lot going on in that question. But for us, you know, it's the fact that Jesus wants Bartimaeus to articulate what it is that he wants. Jesus knows all about it. He knows about his situation. And yet he wants Bartimaeus to say, to ask, And I think there's something of that question in prayer. God's God's saying to all of us, what do you want me to do for you? He wants us to tell him. He wants us to think it through ourselves. He wants us to be persistent in, in telling. He wants us to be part of what's going on, what he's doing in our lives, what he's doing in the world. And thinking this through, I was really struck by this. The idea of the God of the universe is seeking our opinion. Imagine, you know, we're we're watching the news, if people still do that, and there's something on, say, about refugees. And we get this feeling we should be praying about this. Perhaps it's God saying to us, well, what do you think should be done about refugees? What do you think the solution might be? And God wanting us to to tell him, to say, to ask him to be involved. There's an aspect of prayer where God's including us in what he is doing in the world. He wants us to bring our requests. He wants to know what's on our minds, what concerns us, what's driving us, what's motivating us. And he wants us to tell him about it. And actually in doing so, God gets us involved and in doing so God changes us so that such that actually sometimes we might start becoming part of the solution that God has planned 
Our final myth is that our prayers don't make a difference, so there's really no point. This in many ways is the largest area and potentially the reason a lot of Christians give up on prayer or sideline it. And it's especially true where unanswered prayer is the source of much pain or distress. And there's really no way I can cover the whole topic of unanswered prayer this morning. So, so if you forgive me, I'm not even going to try. If it's a key issue with you, I would recommend Pete Gregg's book, God on Mute, or, or seeking out uh, a member of the ministry or pastoral team here at St. Peter's to go through that. However, here are some thoughts on the issue of prayer not making a difference. I think the first is to ask, well, what criteria are we basing our judgment on? If it is that God answers yes to those prayers, then are we ignoring all the times when God answers our prayers, but perhaps in a different way? Or the times when, you know, maybe even for no reason we can see God's answer is no. Tim Keller says, God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you would want them to be answered if you knew everything he knew. God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you would want them to be answered if you knew everything he knew. Perhaps God is answering and we're missing it. The second thing to consider is that prayer is not a formula. If we do X and Y, then we get Z out the end. Very American. Z out the end. If I'm morally good and I pray with the right words, well, God will answer me. In his letter, James talks about the prayer of a righteous person being powerful and effective. And then on the other side, he talk, says, well, you're not receiving because you don't have faith. But as we saw in our first myth of prayer, there is also grace. All can come before God in prayer. And the power of prayer is dependent on the God we're praying to, not the person doing the praying. But actually, I think there is the truth in what James is saying, that the righteous person here, the, the faith-filled person, is perhaps the one with the closer relationship. And in any close relationship, the closer it is, the more you know the other party. And as we deepen in our relationship with God, our prayer changes. And perhaps what we ask for changes. We perhaps know more what is the mind of God. And through that, our prayers become more effective. Are we seeking out the mind of God in our prayers? And this brings us to our final thought. Well, what are we asking for? And what are the motives that we have? Dear Lord, I want to win the lottery and then I will be free to serve you. Dear Lord, I really like this girl and I want you to make her like me. Or perhaps following on from last week, Dear Lord, I want you to bring new Christians into the church, but just in a way that I don't have to get it, do it. Do we need to take an honest look at some of our requests? What we're considering important? 
It's not that God somehow penalizes us for saying the wrong things. That would be completely against what we've said before. But actually, there are times when we aren't asking for things that we should be. What can we learn from perhaps some of the Paul's prayers or the other prayers in the Bible about what we should be praying for, what things are important? In prayer, we've been given an amazing privilege that we can come before the God of the universe as children before a father, that we can bring our cares, our concerns, and requests to him, and that he asks us to do this. He wants us to do this. We could go much further in all the areas we considered, and indeed there's benefit in doing that. But the simple truth is we need to set aside the myths and lies of the devil and just pray. Pray regularly. Pray continuously. Pray faithfully. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.